This month, July, is special to Indigenous Australians for two major reasons. First, there's the Coming of Light Festival that's marked every year in the Torres Strait Islands. And then there's NADOC, the National Aboriginal and Islander Day of Celebration. What many non-Indigenous Australians don't realise, however, is how deeply these events are connected to our nation's religious history. We'll talk about that in this week's episode, as well as exploring the issues of faith and identity that face Indigenous people today. Stay tuned. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. I'm on the phone with Pastor Darren Garlett uh, from Melbourne. Uh, Darren is the Director of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Ministries for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thanks for joining us, Darren. Thank you, Kent. It's good to be on the phone and uh, having a chat today. Now, something I've noticed, Darren, um, whenever I, I meet an Indigenous person, they often like the first or second question they'll ask me is, where are you from? Um, for me, that's a bit of a difficult question because all, you know, my father's side and mother's side are from different places and we've moved all over the place. So I just call myself a, a walkabout white fella. But I understand from your perspective, you, you do have a particular place where, where your family is rooted? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's correct. Every Indigenous person you sort of ask, it's, uh, who are they, where are they from? It's, uh, it links them straight away mm. to uh, a place uh, of identity. And so for me, I'm a Wajak person. I'm from Perth, uh, the Perth city metro area. All that region is uh, Wajak country. And so I've descended from uh, that that area. I've also got uh, other connections down in the southwest of uh, Western Australia. And um, we've lived also out in the, um, the Wheatbelt area as well. And that that's takes in a, a number of different people groups there. But uh, Wajak is uh, the, the people group that we belong to. And so in that southwest corner, we're part of the Noongar people. Mm-hmm. That, that, Noongar. That, yeah. That's sort of a generic term for um, Aboriginal people in Western Australia, isn't it? Yeah. That's correct, yeah. It, it's interesting how like different states have a sort of a different um, word for that. I think uh, like here in New South Wales, it's Koori and up in Queensland, it's Murray and... In South Australia, yeah. it's it's Nunga, and for you, it's That's it's right. Nunga, yeah. Nunga, yeah. Yeah, mm. very interesting. Well, hey, look, welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. We're really happy to to have you here in the month of July, of course, uh, which is where um, NADOC Week happens. Uh, where in the Torres Strait Islands, we also have the the Festival of of the Coming of Light. And now, I understand, Darren, that historically, the Christian churches. Um, like, like these festivals, these celebrations are really quite um, heavily tied in with Australia's Christian history. Is is that your understanding? Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, I mean, a lot of the the celebrations that we do have, we we've had the churches are starting a lot of it off in this country and uh, bringing people together. Yeah, this time of the year, it's uh, it's, it's a high month, uh, July. Mm-hmm. And so you've got uh, NADOC, you've got the coming of the light, and 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 it's it's significant because it's about people coming together, and I mean that's what our churches have been always doing is gathering people together. Mm-hmm. So uh, 80 years ago, we had um, you know Aboriginal activist uh, William Cooper who really kicked off um, 
you know, what was originally the uh, National Day of Mourning, um, which has now become NAIDOC, he, uh, he was doing that on, on the occasion of the, what was it, the 150th anniversary of, of white settlement. And he wanted to call attention to the present deplorable condition of all Aborigines of whatever stage of culture. Do you feel like that, that message, you know, resonates uh, as much as ever, even today? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, its roots is, is really about coming together and, and putting the spotlight on where things are at. Mm. And and even so today, that's that's what happens today with NADOC. Um, the spotlight is on the Indigenous people um, and, and the issues that continue to this day. That's on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, it's the, it's the, the Indigenous people celebrating mm. Yeah, and you know, in the strength and unity that they have survived, that they have uh, been able to um, overcome many obstacles along the way, and so it strengthens them at this time as well. So it has a dual purpose. Yeah, it sort of sheds light on it, on the issues, but also it's a celebration of where things are at, mm, and mm. Um, yeah, it has that determination to, to make things better too. So. So in, in your role like with ATSIM, have you had the opportunity to go up to Thursday Island and, and celebrate the, the Festival of the Coming of Light up there with the, with the Torres Strait Islander people? Have you well, had this, that opportunity? This is my first year and uh, in the office here and in, in this position. Uh, I've got a trip there in September up to the Torres Strait, so I'll miss out this time around. Mm-hmm. But I am so I'm looking so much forward to uh, the Torres Strait. I've never been there. I'm excited. I've got lots of friends from there. Mm-hmm. Um, just that feel that island life, you know, that island lifestyle that they talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I might be only there for a week, but um, I just get a picture in my mind standing. Looking out over the oceans there that um, separate this country to other countries in this world, and with that breeze on your face and you know the warm uh, tropical air, so yeah, oh, man, and the the beautiful uh, characters that you'll meet, uh, you know, in a in a place in a short time will stay stay with you from that point. Oh, book book me so, yeah, a I'm ticket. Yeah, looking forward to the Torres Strait. <laughs> book me a ticket, Darren. <laughs> Sounds like it. It's fantastic. Hey, um. Darren, I wanted just to talk a little bit about the the experience of, of Indigenous people in Australia with living and growing up and, and being moved to, to missions, which were often run by church groups. That's a sort of a, a complicated history, I guess, for a, a church leader and an Aboriginal person such as yourself. So just can, can you just give us a, a little bit of a review of, of how it came about that so many Aboriginal people were moved from their traditional lands and moved on to sort of institutional settings in at mission stations around Australia? Yeah, well, it all came about. I mean, there were government policies put in place that removed half-caste children from their families. And so these were the children that were fair-coloured and, and what they probably deemed as um, not full blood Mm-hmm. It's a way of um, sort of sort of breeding out the colour and uh, mm. the race, and um, and so a lot of a lot of families were affected in 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 uh, these policies where their children were taken away, and, and the effects of that we we see that today we see it in our community today. Mm. I was just. Uh, yeah, at the funeral of uh, Daisy Daisy Cannibal, 
who was um, taken away from Jigalong and uh, down to Moore River, mm-hmm. who then, uh, with her uh, sister and her cousin, walked all the way back home, uh, you know, some 1,600 kilometres. Okay, and, and this was the story that produced that movie, The Rabbit Proof Fence? Yeah, The Rabbit Proof Fence. So uh, I attended the funeral the other day, so I represented the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church at the funeral. You know, when you go to funerals like that, you you can see a, there's a political side that comes out in some of the speeches of how people were taken away and what the and how the church played a part in that, how the government played a part in that. However, at her, at her funeral, what was so special and 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 quite touching was that yeah, she was taken away under these policies, and it was you know. The police had acted on the policies. The church were involved in receiving the children. Um, yet later on in life, when she became an adult, she went back to work with the church. She worked with the Seventh-day Adventist Church at the Karalundi Mission. Oh, okay. And so she gave back to, to the church. Uh, it wasn't the church that took her away or the government that took her away. But just to know that in her heart, she knew that there was something special about being connected to, to the church. And later on, as an adult, she um, she followed that. that that's really so interesting. quite good to know. Yeah, that's really interesting, Darren, because I, I've noticed a, a similar sort of thing over on completely the, the other side of the country, over here on, on the eastern seaboard um, up in far north Queensland again, where it seems like the, the older generations, like the people who actually grew up in the mission, will generally give you very positive stories about, you know, the fun they used to have and how they learnt to work and how they went to school and they used to swim in the creek and ride horses and play in the brass band and all these sorts of happy memories. And, and it seems to be their, their children who are now adults who sort of hold this, this anger and this resentment of what was done to their families. And, and they, they seem to be the ones who, who notice more of the negative impacts down through the generations than the people who actually went through it. How do you explain that? We, 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 um, we see that uh, happening quite a bit now, where the older generation have really, I mean, they accepted it. Hmm. They accepted it. They might not have liked the circumstances and their families at the time, but a lot of the stuff was beyond their control. Hmm. And what they, uh, how they approached it is really they thought, you know, what, what have I got out of this situation? What have I learned through my experience of being taken away? And so they started looking at some of the positive things and they sort of held on to that. And mm. I guess for them, it's helped with their healing. It's helped with that separation. It's helped with their their future of, you know, looking forward and using some of those skills that they've gained. However, as they tell the stories to their children and, and each one of them has good stories and bad stories. Yeah. For some, they might hear some of the bad stories and, you know, people react and, and are impacted in different ways. And so some families will, will hear more negative than the positive and so other families will hear more positive than the negative. But it is that next generation who who sense the injustice of everything that's happened. Yeah. And 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 they're willing to, to stand up against that injustice and, and rightfully so today. But not we we shouldn't take it away from those that were taken away to say that hey there was some good things that that they got from it as well, 
and mm. that's their own words. It's not something that we say that this was good for them. No, they're telling us that there were some good things that they got yeah. from that experience. Yeah, and I guess it's really interesting that the that very um, strong indigenous impulse to want to return back to you know your land, your traditional land, for for some people because I guess they lost contact with their traditional lands, you know, through that period, it's actually the site of the mission station that becomes a sort of de facto traditional lands for them. And, and they do, like all generations, return back to those um, those mission stations from, from time to time and have even, like, taken over some of those, you know, under Aboriginal ownership. Yeah, that's right. Um, we see that with Roland's mission. Uh, it used to belong to the Church of Christ down in southwestern Western Australia. And, um, you know, it became a place where a lot of children went through the mission and today it's Rollins' is home for them. That's, mm, that's mm. where their identity is. I mean, they're Aboriginal and they've got connections throughout different places in the, in the state of Western Australia, but they have a connection to Rollins. And, um, and so it's become a healing place for them mm. in a sense as well. Yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing in like Point Pierce in, in South Australia. The you know the Narunga people there, you know, mm-hmm. still sort of go back there or far north Queensland again. You know, um, Mona Mona Mission is very important to the you know the Jabalgai people. Carolandian Western Australia. Yeah, Carolandian yeah. Western Australia. It's, it's the same thing you know, all, all over the place. Looking at this issue sort of in a more spiritual sense, though, Darren, because I know as a pastor, you'd be grappling with this sort of stuff all, all the time in the mission stations, as I understand it people were generally told, you know, not to speak their language. They were taught to speak English instead. They were taken to church, you know, every week. So they, they learnt religion. And a lot of them, like for me, it, it, I find it very humbling that a lot of them say, you know, one of the great things that happened at the mission days is that I, I learnt to know Jesus and love Jesus. And it's a, a really powerful sort of touchstone for them. But I guess now, with as you say, the the next generation sort of has a different view and is not wanting to lose their sense of identity and perhaps wants to bring some sense of of their indigenous identity back into their worship. How how is that done? And I, I guess there are people are dealing with it in different ways. How how do you understand the, that this is happening? I guess um, the 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 connection to spirituality is what we all have as an Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And for those that were, were, uh, came through the mission, they uh, were introduced to uh, God, into a relationship with Jesus, and it was through the missionaries. And whether that was a good representation or a bad representation of, of Christianity or religion, that was their link to spirituality. Mm. And then we have those now that uh, didn't go through those experiences and they're, they're linked to spirituality, is tied up in the Aboriginal culture mm. and some of the stories. Now for those that have gone through the mission process and they, they, they want to reconnect to their Aboriginal spirituality, yeah. that can be quite challenging. There's bits and pieces missing. So, um, and to be accepted and to embrace it, and not understanding at all, I, I, I find that there's, I, I, you know, there's people that come through and they've had an ex, a Christian experience and they've said, no, no, that's, that's not for me now. I want to go back to my Aboriginal cultural spirituality and yet to try and embrace it and be um, 
fully immersed in it, it's very difficult to do unless you've grown up through that. They'll have bits and pieces of it, and and that's where you can sort of get some sort of extreme stuff happening. Yeah, without without a lot of understanding. Okay, well, I mean, look, Darren, you you were at um, at college, you know, studying theology at, around the the same time I was. So, you know, you're you're trained in in Christian theology. Um, I mean, look, maybe uh, I'm mischaracterizing um, what they are, but I guess I would see shades of, um, you know, ancestor worship in some ways, um, shades of animism in some ways, you know, looking at the spirits of the land, the rocks, the trees, the the spirits of, of generations gone by. I guess for me, it seems to be a very inconsistent spirituality to Christianity. And, and if you try to combine those two spiritualities, surely you, you lose out on something. Is is that an, an ignorant perspective or can you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, um, I, I guess for, for, for me and my experience, it's, that, it's the wrestling between my, my cultural side of things that I know and I've learnt growing up and then I've embraced Christianity and how these two go together, do they go together and mm. goes together and what doesn't go together for me from, I mean the foundation is, is that there is a God mm. and he's in control and he moves throughout this world and, and things happen mm. and, uh, and, and then there's the Aboriginal side of uh, the culture that says well things happen and they happen for a reason mm. and it's linked to something else mm. Those without God will say, "Well, it's linked to you know our ancestors are watching over us, or the this Adam, uh, animal here is a totem, and and he'll take care of us, and he'll lead us, and guide us in what to do." So for me, understanding that there is a God and He will lead and guide, uh, yeah, that's the, that's probably the the most um, critical point. Mm-hmm. From that point there. Then we can say, well, do these other things lead me to God, or they take me away from God mm. in my belief? It, it, and, um, yeah, I've I've heard little whispers here and there, Darren, that some Indigenous nations in Australia do have quite a clear picture of a a supreme creator being. Um, you know, a, mm. I guess a, you know, great spirit is a sort of word we hear from you know Native Americans. Um, it, is that the case? Are there some like traditional Aboriginal beliefs in in a great creator spirit? Yeah, the the I mean, you've got up in the northwest of uh, WA there, one Gina, and mm-hmm. uh, it's this uh, it's a figure without um, it's got eyes, and, um, and they say that's that's the that's the creative spirit there. That's mm-hmm. the one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Aboriginal communities have got some sort of being that. Um, is above other beings in their belief system. It's more powerful and even more powerful than than the dark forces or the evil forces of what's at play. Okay. So w- w- would you see that belief as consistent with um, Christianity? Oh, yeah, very much. Mm. And it makes it easy for them to... To, to actually, I mean, when we identify that, you know, there's a God in the Bible and he's there taking care of us and he's moves throughout this world and wants to, you know, wants to be in a relationship with us, straight away, they, in their minds, they're linking it, oh, well, that's why this happened and that's why that happened. Mm. And so they're linking it to, to God. It's, it's putting a label on it for them, even though it might be not an Aboriginal uh, identified label. 
but um, yeah, okay. we, we were we were conducting a meeting a, a few weeks ago, and we during the meeting at night we were out outdoors and the, there was a bright light in the in the sky, and in, I don't know whether it was the moon or it was a star, but it was a little bit cloudy, and there was a bright light shining, and one of the the members in the Aboriginal community said, "See that light? I've never seen that light before." Mm. And the, you know, he, he said, "That's that's that's God, and ah. He's present here with us. He's watching over us." Wow! So, yeah. Sort of like the Christmas story in some ways. Yeah, and 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 so straight away they're identifying things that are happening in nature that is linked to God. That God is revealing Himself and saying, "Hey, I'm present with you." Mm-hmm. And I guess the a follow-on question from that is, how does this express itself in worship? I think I remember seeing you uh, play a. Didgeridoo from time to time, or or, or, or a yidiki, whatever you want to call it. Um, whereas, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, the the best player. I've, <laughs> I make a noise with it, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've got some other friends like John Beck and different ones who yeah are quite good on the didgeridoo. Actually, no, I think but, it, um, I think it was John Beck. I was thinking of yeah, he's he's played quite yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I've seen him play in sort of worship <laughs> settings. Whereas I know like, I've suggested it uh, when I've been to sort of Aboriginal majority churches and said, hey, you know, we could we bring a didgeridoo into worship? And some of the old people have said, oh, no, we, we don't see that that is appropriate. They seem to be concerned that this might be, um, uh, I guess, summoning perhaps not, not the Holy Spirit, but, uh, but another spirit that's not quite so holy. So there seems to be in, in worship, there seems to be different views on bringing more indigenous practices into Christian worship. Yeah, it's just I think it's just uh, different people's perspectives hmm. because we I've been in ceremonies where church you know church church functions and hmm. ceremonies where it's very spiritual and the didgeridoo has been played hmm. and it adds this element to it. I mean, it's it's a sacred instrument and the noise that it makes is unique and it calls people's attentions and it just gives that certain presence about what's what's you know what's about to happen and and I've had people from you know Arnhem land and and things like that uh, places like that where they've been there for those meetings and they enjoy it mm. and then mm. there's others who from other areas and they'll say well no that's a that's an instrument that's been used up there and in those ceremonies and things like that and so they they're respectful of that culture and the sacredness of the instrument, and they de- they want to define that um, you know this is Christian, this is religious stuff that we're doing, mm. um, and we shouldn't use those things. So yeah, I mean there's there is a tension between that, and every situation is different, and it just takes a bit of time to to work through. And in some places we'll say yes, we'll use it; in other places we'll say no. The people don't feel comfortable with it here, so mm. we'll respect that. Yeah, fair enough. And and I guess that's something that non-Indigenous people need to realise that every different area, you know, around Australia and um, you know, right up to the Torres Strait Islands, the different like, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations have very different views, very different cultures, and and you mm. can't just sort of paint, you know, every, everyone with the, with the same brush that way. It seems to be a mistake that's made quite often. Now, just like while while we're on the arts, I mean the the article that we that we're running in this um, month's Signs of the Times magazine, you know, focuses uh, a bit on the different art forms that uh, various people ha- have made to sort of try to capture some of this complexity, try to deal with uh, some of the the history and the uh, even spirituality. The 
the Bible Society, for example, um, I think last year it was the uh, winner of the Australian Christian Book of the Year. They have a, a book called Our Mob, God's Story, where they have a, a series of paintings of biblical scenes, but a lot of those paintings are done in a in a very traditional uh, Aboriginal style. Do you, do you find that that sort of thing is 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 a helpful way to perhaps you know teach um, you know Bible stories to to Indigenous kids or to just you know highlight some of the connections and the themes between the Bible and, and Aboriginal culture? Yeah, Aboriginal culture is all about engaging and uh, sitting together, learning together and sharing stories. Um, whether there's a canvas with paint on it or whether there's just the, the, the red dirt, mm. um, stories will be uh, marked out on that and told. And so having it on, on canvas in artwork form is is just another way of sitting down together and learning um, and so it's all about sharing the stories. I guess we have a lot of, uh, in the Western culture, we've got a lot of story books mm. and that are written, and uh, yet with Aboriginal culture, it's all about the artwork and mm. and retelling the stories. Yeah, so. storytelling, the, the oral tradition, it's, it's really powerful, isn't it? Mm. Which, which is actually quite it consistent. Is, yeah. I mean, if if you, you know, look, Think back to biblical times, um, like you read in the in the book of Colossians, for example, where where Paul says, "Hey, make sure that um, you read this um, this letter that I've written out to the congregation in in Colossae, and then um, can you read it out to the church in Laodicea as well?" So it sort of tells us that the way that people experienced those New Testament letters, and certainly the way they experienced the Old Testament books as well, was generally by hearing it orally, um, not by reading it themselves individually. I mean, they didn't have printing presses then, so, you know, everyone didn't have Bibles of their own. They pretty much went together, met as a community, and heard that Word of God being spoken together in in that oral tradition sort of way. It's perhaps much more consistent mm-hmm. with traditional Indigenous ways than, than whitefellow ways, I guess. That's true. And, and I mean, you know, the, um, the, the Australian landscape is really the canvas of uh, where where the story big story happens for mm. people, uh, Aboriginal people, and so retelling it is a way of sitting down and uh, just redoing, repainting uh, the the landscape and how the story started mm. and how mm. it ends, and um, it's yeah, and the various symbols that are used today. Yeah. To, uh, to convey those stories. Yeah, that that really reminds me of um, you know those verses in the Old Testament where it, where it says that they set up a you know a pile of rocks or, or an altar or put put a rock up on its end to sort of mark a spot where something special happened. And it, it seems to be th- that the idea was that when you'd be travelling through that area later on and, and your kids say, "Hey, what's what's that rock there, Dad?" You'd say, "Oh, let me tell you a story about about that rock and what happened here." So mm. the the landscape again is sort of associated with all these stories and and with all this history, um, and and what you've done there at um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Ministries there in Melbourne, Darren, is that you've actually released just a uh, just last year um, a book called Our Stories, God Stories. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that and and how uh, perhaps our listeners can get hold of it for themselves? Earlier on, a few years back, we came out with a book called uh, The Snake Bird, mm-hmm. Bird, Other True Stories. Yep. And uh, Alan Holman uh, put those stories together, and this just stories of uh, our Aboriginal people th- throughout the country. Mm. It was a very short little um, booklet, and so we we've, we always have been using that as a resource, and we thought we'd, we'd update and uh, collect some more stories to uh, put into another one. Mm. And so it's called Our Stories, uh, God Stories, mm-hmm. and 
and uh, they've been collected by Steve Peets and uh, Eileen uh, Felberg. Yeah. And uh, they've travelled around the country, but some great stories in it of different ones um, and in uh, uh, their encounter with God. Mm. Uh, God or uh, what he's done in their life. And um, it's just something, just a good resource that's easy to pick up and uh, read. It's got the photo of the person in there so you can see the person, coloured pictures. Um, but yeah, if you, to get a copy of that is, I mean, the best way is just to ring through to our office here in Melbourne. Okay. And um, yeah, they can uh, ask for a copy of it and we'll be happy to send it out. Okay, so so the name of the book is Our Stories, God's Stories, and the number there is, uh, it's a Victorian number, so 03 area code 987177555. And I understand you're also okay for people to send you an email, uh, Darren? Thanks, send me an email, yeah, um, and we've got other resources as well, so Darren Garlett at adventus.org.au. Okay, there you go, so Darren Garlett, that's D-A-R-R-E-N, and um, Garlet is G-A-R-L-E-T-T, is that right? L-E-T-T. Yep, That's okay, correct. so all, all one word, Darren Garlet at adventist.org.au. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Darren, for, for your time today. And um, yeah, all, all the best for NADOC and, and the month of July. And um, yeah, we really appreciate the time you've given us today. Thank you. It's been good to chat. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.